0: i do want to preface this with i am a veterinarian with that comes certain things that you have to bear with me because uh i you know we're, we're a different breed of people i think anyway we and there's something about when i get up here i kind of feel the holy spirit and uh it's kind of like being drunk in the holy spirit Have you heard that terminology being drunk in the holy spirit Well, what happens when you're drunk in the holy spirit you lose all your inhibitions And you just start saying things you probably shouldn't say in public, but it's all right. Nobody cast me out of the first service, so I think we're okay. So I I was reminded this week as I was praying of a scripture and uh, several scriptures, but this one kind of came to me a little later. And Jesus says in John, I think it's 1010, he said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. One of the versions says, more abundantly. That's an awesome scripture. And there, there are times where just the word of God, we hear it and we hear it and we hear it and we repeat it, but sometimes it doesn't get from our head to our heart. Jesus came to give us abundant life. Abundant life. That's why he came. Doesn't mean life is easy, but he's walking through it with us, if we just ask him. So we're gonna read a few scriptures and then we're going to get into the message. In Matthew chapter four, this is gonna be kind of my core scripture for this message, chapter four, verses one through ten. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God... if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Amen. Hallelujah. In Second Timothy 4.7, it says, I have fought the good fight. This is Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There's one point in scripture where Paul actually experiences a little, you know, a little doubt about when he's teaching and he's doing all the stuff. He says, you know, lest I don't finish the race myself. So don't know how concerned he was about that, but I think he realized that we're all human and there is always that possibility. I've been around long enough where I've seen people that have walked away from the faith. They walked away from church. I'm not saying they're not saved. I don't know. That's that's between them and God. They might come back, they might be the prodigal son. But Jesus came to give us an abundant life so we don't have to go through those things. And how do we how do we prepare ourselves? How do we brace ourselves? How do we fight the good fight so that we don't go through those things? Because we know life is going to be hard. We know we're going to go through some difficulties. And so I, I just kind of want to try to examine that today. It's a huge subject. We're not going to be able to cover everything. But in Hebrews 11.1, 1, I think the first thing we need to do is, what is faith? If we're going to keep the faith, what is it? In Hebrews chapter 11.1, 1, we get the Bible definition of faith. In the New King James Version, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So my my mind kind of goes like, okay, so what are some good examples? There are things that we can't see, but we know they're there. For instance, air. We know air is there. We know if we don't breathe, we'll die. and It only takes like five minutes. We need air. But we can't see it, can we? We're going by faith that there's oxygen and there's nitrogen and there's all this stuff in the air. But when the air starts to move in the form of wind, we can, we can feel it against our face. We can feel the wind against our face. Maybe you like to ride motorcycles and you're going down the road, you can feel the wind against your face. That's the air. The air keeps planes in the air at, if they go a certain speed. And they're designed correctly. They're supposed to stay up there. And it's amazing how much weight that you can get on something that you can't see. It's incredible. Sometimes I look at those big planes and the stuff they're putting in there and I say, how in the world? I know it works, but it still amazes me for some reason. We can hear the air when it starts to move quickly because, it, say, a hurricane or a tornado. I mean, the amount of force that can come with something we can't even see, but we can see the effects of it. So here's evidence of things I'm seeing, right? And then I thought, well, what about the things that we can smell but we cannot see? And, and here we go. Here, okay. Did I just zone out there for a minute? In my profession, I need to calm down. In my profession, we get a lot of smells. We get a lot of things. Sometimes you can see where they're coming from, and sometimes you don't know where they're coming from, and then there's other times where like, you know where it's coming from. <clears throat> There's no question. And there are certain gases like propane. You can smell propane. If you walk into a building, you smell propane. It's like, it's a good time to exit. Don't turn on the lights. You know, don't, don't light a cigarette. Just, just exit the building. And then uh, there are, so I, but I was curious about, you know, some of the other gases that we can smell. And if you know what I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a sci- I love science. I think that science is awesome, properly interpreted, properly ran, properly done. It always confirms everything God has said about what he's done. It always does. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong with the science. Or we have preconceived ideas that lead us to the wrong conclusion. That's usually the problem, is we have preconceived ideas about the science until it leads us to an improper conclusion. So, I I found this, I I learned some things, and I wanted to share it with you for a couple reasons. The first reason, I'm not going to tell you why. The second reason is because it's going to help you remember the evidence of things unseen. And the third reason, I'm not going to tell you why either. So, so here here we go. Nobody fired me after the first service. You can forgive me, Pastor Jeff, when you're listening to this. You know, I, I'm sorry. You have to love me. <laughs> so there's this, there was a study, and this is the synopsis of the study. So May 28, 2019, recent research in animals suggests hydrogen sulfide, one of the main ingredients in smelly gas, may provide certain health benefits. Who knew? <clears throat> like preserving heart health, or preventing dementia, yeah, research in humans is needed to further explore this potential treatment so i, I don 't know if anybody wants that treatment, but <clears throat> I mean, someday think about it, someday your doctor's going to be telling you don 't roll down the window, just inhale <laughs> you know, think of you, all you guys that are married, think of how many times your spouse covered your head and held you under the covers? <clears throat> Little did they know the health benefits. They just didn't know. You can't make this stuff up. Do you know there are, there are scientists that actually study flatulence? They, they do. They study flatulence and are called flatologists. That is a true story. I I am not kidding you. That was, I saw that. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, yeah. And I'm thinking they're looking for, you know, patients or people to do a study on people. So you never know. So so we know the Bible definition of faith. Uh, the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for. So, but the, the dictionary definition of faith is a little different. It says, number one, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Number two, strong belief in God or in the doctrine of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Firm belief in the absence of proof. That's the world definition. So you see there's there's a tension with faith. Because the Bible says it's evidence and it's proof. And my experience has been that's the more accurate definition. Yeah. That we, we have evidence. We have proof. And that God's providing it all the time. He provides it through the word of God. He provides it in our everyday surroundings. But it can sneak into the church. It can creep into our faith. And listen, the the reality is that we all have doubts at times, right? I mean, as much as, as long as I've been a Christian, I mean, every once in a while doubts will creep in and I, and I have to stop and I say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what I know. Because I think the enemy attacks us in that area and he brings doubt. But if your faith is just a spiritual apprehension or a conviction without any evidence then how solid is that faith how solid is that faith when something happens when there's crisis in your life when there's health issues when you lose a loved one when you name it all the hundreds of things none of us get out of here alive right so i mean everybody is going to have to deal with death everybody has to deal with health issues crises financial problems, work, jobs, bosses. I'm a boss. I'm sorry. Sorry for my, my uh, employees have to deal with me. <clears throat> it affects how we walk. It affects how we talk. It affects how we live our life. And this faith thing is so crucial, so critical. I love when people get saved, but my real passion is the next step, is discipling is learning about God, knowing God, knowing Jesus, developing this faith. I, I love the, you know, the revivals, the Ashbury Revival, and some of the things that have happened in the past, and past revival. because what it does is it brings just a, a new reality and another depth to your faith in Christ. At, at a, in Hosea 4.6, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And we know knowledge can puff up. Uh, so knowledge can be misused and abused like everything. But, but we need knowledge of God because that's what God does. He, he's given us proofs throughout Scripture and throughout evidence. I mean, if you just look at your neighbor, there's evidence of a creator. You know, what's interesting, and Joel talked about this last week, we've become so familiar how we forget the miracle is right in front of us. Yeah. And this body is a miracle. It really is. I'm a doctor. This body is so immensely complex, it's beyond all comprehension. Uh, it, it boggles my mind how anybody with an education, and especially in the medical realm, can come to any possible conclusion that we just got here by chance. Uh, it's just, for one thing, it's just mathematically, you do the math, You mathematicians, that's what they do. It's mathematically impossible. It's just impossible. Okay, I can give you numbers, but it's not possible. It's not possible to get here through evolution. It's just not. The only reason evolution still survives in the thoughts and the minds of people is because the only alternative to evolution is God. You cannot think of a third alternative. And there are just people that just cannot believe in God. They're just not there yet. And so they have to believe in evolution. They have to embrace it. And they'll say, well, we're here. We know it happened. So therefore, it must be true. That's bad science. My wife, Cindy, she was raised in a Christian home and been a Christian her whole life. And she just has this faith that doesn't require much evidence or substance because she just, she knows. Her, her faith is more experiential. <clears throat> She's experienced God. She's experienced his presence and his Holy Spirit. And so it's something she can't put her finger on is quite so much, although I, I've seen her move in the spirit and be very prophetic and things. And so, but her faith is just unshakable, and it's been that way since we were married. For me, I, I got saved when I was later. I was in college. I needed a little more substance, I needed, some, I needed some evidence. I'm not, I'm not a believer in just walking in blind faith. And I don't think anybody should be reality. And like I said, God gives us the stuff. He does. So consider, consider Jesus' disciples. They walked with him for three and a half years. They saw all the things that he did. They listened to his teachings. He taught them, he showed them, he even told them what was going to happen. And yet they had a hard time receiving it. So when it does happen, when they nail Jesus to the cross, and he's, he dies. Now remember, Jesus raised people from the dead. So you would think, okay, why is it so hard for the disciples to think Jesus could be raised from the dead? But think about Lazarus, he raised from the dead. There was some guy that were entering a city and I don't think we have his name and he was dead in a casket and his mom was weeping and he went over and laid hands on him to raise him from the dead. The difference here, I think, is that we don't see that those people had any kind of injuries on them that we know of. Lazarus was all bound up, but he just died. His body was intact. Jesus is on the cross. Everybody's got to be dead by sunset because it's the Sabbath coming. And so they're breaking the legs of the other two. So that what, what happens? They sink, they can't breathe, and they die. They come to Jesus, though, and he looks pretty dead. And so they didn't break his legs, which was foretold in Scripture. But they, they pierce him with a spear. Now, it goes into the abdomen. If you think Jesus is above the soldiers, these are soldiers, are Roman soldiers, they know how to kill. And they know how to make sure. They just want to make sure he's dead. And so they pierce. And it goes, if you think about the direction, it's going to go up underneath the ribcage, it's going to go through the stomach, it's going to go through the liver, it's going to go through the diaphragm, it's going to go into the lungs, it's going to go into the heart. And what pours out is fluid and blood. Fluid because of the distress that the body went through, that Jesus went through in the crucifixion. The blood from the heart. So the disciples have this picture of Jesus with a maimed body. A body that there's just no way that body can come back to life. That doesn't even make sense. And yet on the Sabbath day, or on the um, first day of the week, when Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, and then she encounters Jesus, and she runs back to the disciples, at least to Peter and John, and and they go running to the tomb, and they find the clothes folded up there, and then they're just not, wow, what's going on here? They don't know. And of course, we, we know that women's testimony wasn't, Really valued in that time, but think about it. They they were they saw Jesus pierced, so they didn't believe. There's the two on the road to Emmaus, and they met Jesus, and then Jesus shows up to ten of the disciples. Thomas is gone, and presents himself to them. So now the ten disciples, the two probably from. The disciples going to Emmaus and Mary Magdalene, 13, have seen the, the Christ. And Thomas, they're telling Thomas, this so is a week later. For a week, they're telling Thomas, he's risen, he's back. And he, and what does Thomas say? He said, no, I don't believe it. Until I stick my hand in his side. That's how big the hole was. Big enough to put your hand in. And put my finger in his palms of his hands where the nails were. I'm not going to believe I will never believe. So Jesus shows up, of course, we know. He said, Thomas, stick your hand on my side, your fingers in my palm, and believe. Of course, he does. He repents. But Jesus says something interesting. Listen, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe who haven't seen. I've had people say, unless Jesus manifests right in front of me, I'm, I will never believe. I said, well, that's probably not going to happen. Might, but probably not. It's probably not going to happen. Cindy watches a lot of um, programs like 2020 and Dateline, kind of true life, murder mysteries and such. And so she was mentioning to me this last week. Said the most unreliable evidence is the um, is the visual is the eyewitness evidence because we can get our eyes can fool us. Yeah. I'm, you know, we say seeing is believing, but we can actually be tricked, and because what we see, are mind processes. And so we can see things that aren't there because we're anticipating it, and we can see we can see things that are there. we don't see things that are there. And our memory is fallible, but when you start adding multiple witnesses that see the same thing, and the Bible tells us there were over 120 that saw the risen Christ, and how difficult it is to form a conspiracy that Jesus was raised from the dead when he really wasn't. That's almost impossible. It is impossible. One of the reasons Chuck Colson, I don't know if you know him, he was head counsel for President Nixon and during Watergate. One of the reasons he went to prison, he was the hatchet man for President Nixon. One of the reasons he got saved, he started prison ministries, was he realized that with just four or five people that were all friends, all had a common goal, he still couldn't contain a conspiracy. There is no way that eleven disciples, one hundred and twenty people could conspire that Jesus really wasn't raised from the dead. The evidence is profound. The real issue is not the evidence, because really, if you look into it, the evidence is irrefutable the The real issue is choice are you Are you going to choose? It's a decision. The thing that's interesting is that we can have all this tons of evidence, and yet at the same time, there is a step of faith that comes that says, I'm going to believe. And we even use that. Even the word believe sometimes, I think, contributes to the idea that it's just without evidence, without proof. That it's just what well, we have our faith we believe because we believe. I heard a, an author, and I don't remember, I read in a book or heard on Christian radio, I don't remember his name, but he said something. He said, I've been a Christian long enough, I've seen enough things, I know enough that I, I'm not really a believer anymore. I'm a knower. I, I, I know God. I don't just believe, I know. I thought that was so good because I know know God. So if we go back to Matthew, and we look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, we see that the devil comes and is going to tempt Jesus. Now, we know Jesus said, listen, if if the world does this to me, they're going to do it to you too. Preparing his disciples that there's going to be Oh, there's going to be trials. The world's going to come after you. Well, guess what? If the devil's going to do it to Jesus, the devil's going to try to do it to you. In fact, Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, the devil's asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. Well, that's nice. I'm glad you prayed for him. Why don't you just take the devil out? That's what I want to <laughs> Just take him out of there. No, Peter had to be sifted, but Jesus prayed for him. When the devil comes, the first thing he does is challenges Jesus' identity. He says, if you are the Son of God. We have, Jesus knew his identity. The devil knew his identity. He still challenges it. You might know your identity. You might know who Jesus is, but he's still going to challenge it. He's still going to challenge it. Are you going to be prepared? Are you going to be like, I know better than that? When those doubts come, who is Jesus? Is he trustworthy? Yes, he is. There's something about creation and the thing that we're really good at looking at things. I can look at this table top and I can see that somebody made it because it's very, it's designed. Didn't just happen. It didn't just come together. We can we can look in creation and we can see whether it's trees or flowers or plants or whatever it is. Uh, we see design. We see design in our own bodies. And yet, for some reason, when we make the jump from seeing design here to seeing design in the creation, we still struggle with, you know, is that was that God? But is so incredible, some of the design are so incredible, so mathematically impossible any other way, that, uh, that you come to a point where you have to say, yes, God you know, God created all this stuff. If he's that wise, if he's that able, if he, he's trustworthy. We can trust him. When Jesus came as the Son of God, performed all these miracles that nobody in human history has done, Can we trust who he is? I believe we can. Do you know who you are? Because the devil will attack you. Listen, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a king. You're a priest. You're part of a temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He is greater in you than who who is in the world. You have to know who you are. Because the devil will attack that. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And what does he do? He attacks Jesus at his greatest human need. He's hungry. But Jesus says, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Are we living by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Listen, I, I understand we're in this life and this is very real and we're hungry and we're cold or we're hot or we need things we want things but are we are we really living by the word of god when when jesus said that the devil comes to steal kill and destroy but i come to bring life and that more abundant what what he's saying is this is a spiritual battle This is not a battle in nature. We're dealing with it here, and we have to, but it's a spiritual battle. When Paul said, we fought the good fight, what fight are we fighting? Are we fighting the good fights? Or are we fighting fights that we shouldn't have our nose in? We can get distracted so easily by the wrong things in this life. And there's so many distractions. So many distractions. And it doesn't mean we don't have to deal with them. We do. But are we we cognizant? Are we, in the back of our mind, always, it's the word of God. God's in control. God's king. God's got this thing. The world might be going... Down the toilet, as a believer told me this last week. The world's going down the toilet, and I'm just trying to make sure I don't go with it. That's good. That's good. I like to have a little more positive attitude myself. God's in control. He's got this thing. No matter who's in office, no matter what political affiliation that you know you don't like, I mean, God's got this thing. Are there fights worth fighting for? Yes. We just need to make sure we're on the right path. We're fighting the right fights. What does he do next he takes them to the holy city and he takes them to the temple he could have done this right where he was at but there's there's symbolism here he's got him in the temple he said cast yourself off for the word says the angels will they'll catch you and they'll hold you and you're not going to stumble and all this stuff and of course jesus responds with scripture don't test the lord your god the thing that, that, the, that just shows me that the devil is going to challenge your faith. He's going to challenge you with scripture. He's going to challenge you, again, it's identity. If you're the son of God, throw yourself off. You have to understand that your faith in Christ covers you under the blood of Christ. Because he's, he's going to say, you're not worthy. Look what you just did. You call yourself a Christian. How could you do that? I mean, you, you fill in the blank. Because we're all guilty. But right. Paul tells us there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Jesus has taken us, that away from us. But do we still struggle with it? It seems like we do. Seems like we, we do because life, you know, life is is smelly sometimes. Right? I mean it's just smelly. Even Jesus said it's not what goes in, it's what comes out of the mouth. The mouth. <clears throat> but you know, we can have flatulence of the mouth. I mean, it's got its own smell, and it doesn't smell good. Right? And we're all there. So the last thing that Satan does is that he takes Jesus to a high mountain so he can see all all the things of the world and offer to him and say, if you'll just fall down and worship me, then I'll give you all this. And Jesus, what's he say? He says, of course, get away from me, Satan. It's written, you worship the Lord your God only. Have the worship team come up. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We'll change. Our circumstances will change. Our relationships will change. Our health will change. But in the midst of that, God's the same. He does not change. I think what he's saying is that the thing with like worshiping God is kind of like faith. It We know it in theory. I think we believe it in theory. But sometimes there are just there are things that can get in the way. I remember when I was Young in the faith, and it was quite a few years ago. And I, I thought I was just having a conversation with myself, but I, I realized this last couple of weeks as I was reminded of it that the Holy Spirit, I felt like said, no, I was in the conversation, and I remember thinking, so I was talking to myself <clears throat> that I, as a, as a young Christian, I wasn't. A, I didn't feel like I was a strong Christian yet. I was still learning, still had things I was going through, and I felt like that I needed to be sure that I was in church on a regular basis and that if I wasn't, if I ever found myself not being in church on a regular basis, unless it's you know, you just obvious things like work or vacation, that that was a red flag. That was my barometer. This is just me. That was my barometer for how I am doing in the faith. If I'm finding that I'm just wanting to skip church and go fishing or whatever, none of that's bad. I'm just saying that for me, that was my barometer. I remember that conversation. And I think a lot of times the Holy Spirit puts those things into our head because uh, if I'm if there's anything that gets between me and God, then that can become an idol. I remember back in the 90s when we had we kind of had a little revival. Uh, it was the Toronto blessing and started in Toronto, Canada, and uh, we were experiencing it here. it was experiencing it worldwide. We went to the we went to the Philippines and we did a mission trip there. And I remember uh, that we were told when we got there that. They hadn't experienced this outpouring yet, and a lot of that outpouring was just praying for people, and they were getting slain in the spirit. They're falling backwards or falling forwards, and and it was kind of like, wow, this is kind of crazy. And we got to the Philippines, and they said, "Uh, yeah, by the way, uh, they haven't experienced that here yet. So we went out to these little churches, and the first thing that they do is start praying for people, and they're falling down. The Philippines. It was a worldwide phenomenon. We, we were seeing it right here in our church. I remember it was really funny because we had this one guy in the church, and big guy, really great guy, but he, was, he had some doubts, some questions. We were kind of meeting during the week just to pray and see what God would do. And, and so he was, he was in the back by himself, just standing back there. And people up here lined up praying people were getting slain in the spirit and laughter holy laughter and a thing that was happening all of a sudden there was a big crash in the back he was back there by himself and got slain in the spirit he passed out <laughs> so you can't stop the spirit of God and the thing is that when we're the thing that I was praying about during that time because I mentioned in the first service that sometimes I'm I'm a little more on the pessimistic side. If I'm looking at a venture or something or you know, exploring something or doing something, it's like I wanna know I wanna know all the pros, but I also want to know the cons. I want to know the worst thing that can happen. I wanna be prepared for that. I want to be prepared for, okay, this is the worst that can happen. Am I prepared for that? Jesus said, if you're going to build, uh, you need to prepare. He said, if you're going to build a temple, you need to be sure you can finish it. Be sure you can finish the temple. Otherwise, if you just get it half done, people are going to walk by and they're going to mock you. And they're going to say, wow, I didn't even have enough foresight to finish this thing. And I think I think part of what Jesus is saying is that are, are we... Are we looking ahead to see what we might have to go through in our faith? Are we prepared in times of health, in times of relationship problems, trusting our children to the Lord? That can be a tough one. Trusting, I'm a grandfather now, and I have a granddaughter old enough to have children. I could be a great-grandfather That's just scary. So, can we trust them with the Lord? Because sometimes that's the only choice you have, is trusting them with the Lord. Can we trust them? And I remember as I was praying about this outpouring, I asked God, I said, God, what what are the pitfalls? What are the cons to this thing? Because what happens what tends to happen in any kind of outpouring like that is that then man starts to get involved, and pretty soon pride creeps up, or you know somebody's, you know they're offended or whatever. And something happens, and I remember I was driving, and I remember the Holy Spirit said, "The number one pitfall could be an idol." I thought, wow, we can actually make the things of God idol in our life we're seeking we're seeking that experience we're speaking that presence that's all good but if it becomes an idol in our life if we put that above God himself if we're jumping from every outpouring every conference every new new great thing is happening and the problem is that at some point in time you have to come home and go to work so you're, you can't live up here on these peaks and that can become an idol and then what do you do Monday morning listen if you're a worshipper of God and, and God's your number one then none, all those things are great and they won't stop you from Monday morning still getting in the presence of God and reading his word and prayer because God doesn't want just our mind he wants our heart and our soul right greatest commandment love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind it's not without your mind it's not without your heart it's not without who you are it's all of you that's what he wants and that's the goal how do you keep the faith worship God and you worship him only and you get in the word and you know the word if you have doubts, listen doubts doubts are okay can I tell you that? Doubts are okay it's what you do with them that matters when you have a doubt uh, I, I see that as the Holy Spirit wants to teach me something he wants to increase my faith so if I have a doubt about something, let's figure it out. What do I need to learn? What do I need to do? What do I need to prepare? What's the con to this thing? What's the worst thing that could happen? Can I, can I go through life serving Christ to the end of my days, regardless of what happens? My answer is yes, I'm going to. We're not doing it on our own. This is not in our own strength. We have the Holy Spirit that's with us and walks with us and empowers us and gives us the strength and answers those questions, answers those doubts. I can honestly tell you, I have never had a doubt or a question about something that God didn't answer. In one way or another, maybe through another person, maybe through reading, maybe just through inspiration. He's faithful. He's faithful. The answers are the word of God. Know the word, know Jesus, know God, know who you are. The promises of God are yes and amen and they're unending.